Eric Swanick is the head of special collections and rare books at Simon Fraser University. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Jim Rimmer. My hero. Many years ago, I used to do the Canadian section of the bibliography for private press books, and I would gather material from across the country. I lived in New Brunswick at the time, and uh, I remember corresponding with Jim Rimmer. And when I had the opportunity to move to, uh, to Burnaby to work at Simon Fraser University, I trucked myself over to New West to see whether I could get his papers for the library. That's where he was living, which where he had lived for many years, actually. Jim said, no, he, you know, he didn't want to part with his papers at the present time. A few years later, in the interim, I kept going back whenever I could without becoming a nuisance because it was such a wonderful site. You know, he had several printing presses in it, all the equipment for illustrating books, his illustration of books, and several printing presses. So he was an illustrator as well as a printer? He was an illustrator as well as a printer, and he did the binding as well. And I asked him at one point, you know, why don't you make the paper too? But I never seemed to get very far in that question. <laughs> and there were a lot of kids, and he worked with people who wanted to learn how to cast type in various aspects of the book. All worked with Jim from around here. So he has this incredible legacy in the Lower Mainland, especially, but also across the country with various people and into the United States. Can we move back to who he was and what he did that made him so special? Jim was born, I think it was not very far from where he actually lived, in New West. He trained here as a printer. His grandfather told him that, you're not that good at school, you should go out and get an apprentice. And he said, I always loved doodling. And uh, he said, well, maybe you should work in the printing industry. And he went into the printing industry when he was very young, served as apprentice, and then you know, he had various jobs with various newspapers from here. And at one point, when he started this family, he moved to interior BC, uh, Williams Lake, worked there as a printer with a newspaper. At that time, as an aside, this doodling led to doing editorial cartoons. I think we have over 30 of them now in the collection. This is in Cary Price country, I think. It's up in that area. And yeah, so he did these newspaper editorial cartoons, and they kept them. And when I which I'll get to in a moment, of buying the collection, the, the papers from Jim, his wife said she put them under the bed, kept them under the bed for years, because Jim uh, did a lot of recycling, and things mm -hmm. got moved on. He thought all the cartoons were gone, so I got the cartoons. They saved some because they had such you know, personal connections, and I eventually got them as well. He, did, he didn't like them? He just wanted to get rid of them? He was, he was the opposite of a pack rat then? He was. So they went to Williams Lake. They were there for a few years, then he came back to Vancouver, got a job in the printing industry, I think, and this will be the, uh, the late 60s. If you look at his book, Leaves from the Pie Tree, he'll account for his early years. Sorry, now the Leaves from the Pie Tree is a, a book about uh, his, his life? His, or his, his life. His, it's, it's, it's his autobiography? It, yeah, exactly. This is the book which was printed by Gasparo Press. So he did one in a limited edition, I can't remember, 45 copies or something. Then Gasparo picked up on it and did a commercial version. Whichever version you look at, it's going to be the same because he works in the printing industry for a number of years. Then it essentially stops in the early 1970. Sorry, what, what stops? The autobiography. And then it resumes, I think, in the early 90s. So there's 20-some years in there which are not accounted for. <laughs> and I went at Jim about this a couple times. This is when he went into private business as a graphic artist. 
I have tried over various times to put together some of his work. I have found some of the material, such as in, I can't remember the dates specifically, in say 1986, a local insurance company did their annual report with an illustration in it by Jim Rimmer. So you say he was a, a graphic designer, but do you mean that he was primarily an illustrator? That yeah. he, he sold his illustrations he to sold his ad agencies or yeah, exactly. co- directly to companies? Yeah, yeah. And they would Wherever include Wherever he could make a few bucks. That sounds like a really difficult way to make a few bucks. He didn't do the whole design of annual reports or things well, like this, that. In this case, it was an illustration within the annual report. Right. I think they... You know, it's like Power Corporation asked, you know, the various artists. And sometimes he'd do the actual, you know, the layout of a publication. There were a number of textbooks. I set aside some of the um, dust jackets, Douglas and McIntyre, when they were first starting out, which was J.J. Douglas Publishing, then became Douglas and McIntyre. Now it's D&M Publishing, well-established local firm, as you know. Uh, he did design work for them and textbooks and various other things. So I, I have a stack of these. And it's, you know, I'm slowly adding to them. You know, there's a restaurant downtown, which, you know, he did the graphic work for it and, you know, a lot of other things. Would you be able to find that in his papers? Would there be a record of what the company did? Why not? Didn't keep records? I suspect he did for a short period of time, but they're not in his papers. They've moved on. He recycled them. Exactly. He had a very, very good friend. He's up in the interior now in a place called Clinton. His name's Alex Wyden, and he's been immense help to me. And it's, you know, I, he hung around with Jim for many years, worked as an apprentice, and they, they shared the same office. He has given me various contacts, so it's a matter of tracking some of these people down. And you know, we've created a digital site showing some of Jim's work, and that attracts a few people and so there's you know things sort of trickle in. Did he have a particular kind of style? There's a couple answers to your question. He did three books, one on Pauline Johnson, one Charles Dickens and one on Tom Sawyer and he did lino cuts for them. Now these were with his own press? With his own press, Pie Tree Press. The Pauline Johnson one, I can't give you all the variants in the Pauline Johnson one, but he did work with uh, students at at one of the local colleges. So there's in one of the one of the editions they'll have all his illustrations. In another of the editions, they'll have a couple of the students' illustrations. So there's you know there's a number of variants here, and you know which were you know a bit of bibliographical fun and a bit of a challenge. It's a matter of finding these things. So his his style. You would recognize the the lino cuts that he did. Jim always said he never had the patience to do a wood engraving. You know, he just wanted to do lino cuts, and they're really quite wonderful. And they're they're really masterful because there's there's a lot of color in a lot of these lino cuts, and they're they're just marvelous. I can't imagine you know many people being able to do the same sort of work that he has done. I mean, it's it's really quite wonderful. What do you mean by wonderful? Well, it's the illustration, the expressions in a in a Tom Sawyer or you know, uh, some of the characters in Tom Sawyer. I mean, they're just they're just sort of magical in a way. I mean, they're just so graphic, and, and the colors he, add to all this. So he's able to capture emotion on the faces, for example? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, did he do this just with the books, or would that have been what he did during that, I don't know if lacuna is the right word, but that gap? That, I, I mean, I don't have the documentation for that. That's that's part of the problem. I would think he did all those years. He did some sort of material. I mean, he was always, as a kid, as I mentioned earlier, he was always, you know, he was always doodling, eh? And uh, yeah. so, I mean, I think this carried on. In the books, there are the lino cuts, which are distinct in themselves. I got the illustrations for all the books. I managed to acquire all those 
all those line of cuts when I came here. The actual physical yeah. line of cuts themselves? Yeah. yeah. And they were owned by someone that you got them well, off? Well, they were both or? both with book dealers. And right. I you know, I bought them and, you know, brought them home, so to speak. Yes. And then when he did his Tom Sawyer, we had worked out a rapport by that time, and uh, they came here, and I have uh, a lot of the background work leading up to the final copy of, uh, of Tom Sawyer. So they're here in special collections. Uh, the other thing about Jim, which is very admirable, is his typefaces. He designed a number of typefaces. Gaspero Press has adopted one of them, which is used in a number of their books. Is there an ape, or is it called the Rimmer typeface, or...? remember the name I'm sorry his last no not his last one there was another one in the mill which I think Alex Wyden or Jason DeWinitz is, is working on to complete the design these are local printers printers yeah. fine yeah. press yeah. yeah but he did one for the Tom Sawyer book where was Mark Twain born Hannibal yeah so that's the name of the typeface you know I'm no expert on typefaces but he you know, he designed and cast all this type and uh, set this book. I mean, it's just just a marvelous piece of work. And uh, then he'd do the binding. What kind of equipment do you need to, well, to, to make your, he your own typeface? Yeah, whatever he needed. I mean, Jim was, you know, was really uh, very, very good with his hand. I mean, he had a great mechanical ability. And he, I mean, it was an, it was an experience. And if you have the chance to uh, talk to Ryan Ma, I expect he has a lot of illustrations of Jim's basement. Oh, this know, is the photographer you're telling me yeah, about. Yeah, the photographer. Who, who yeah. Uh, documented much of what the latter part of Jim's life. Yeah, he spent an awful lot of time with Jim, and he has a film in the making, and uh, he's done some shorts. And I think they're uh, either on Vimeo or on YouTube. You might check check those and have a look at them. I, I do hope he soon finishes it because it is. He's really gathered a lot of material in. I've convened, I think, three celebrations of Jim. I mean, there's a, there's a Rimmer Fest, there's his passing, and then there was another memorial. And uh, it was always his, his films that, or his pictures that were used. What is it about him that makes him such a large figure in your imagination and your life? You know, there were the, the students that he had, there were the people that he mentored, the people he, who he took in and assisted. There was one chap who... Um, his mother tongue printing on Gabriel, Gabrieli, Gabrielle, um, probably neither, but on one of the islands, and uh, he had broken his back, and he couldn't go back to the profession he was in. Would you come? Would you come over and, and teach me how to print? And he he lived in their cottage for a period of time, and taught him how to print. He went on to become a printer, and then there were all the students who he had influenced. And all the people he sort of took into his place to help them show them how to design type, how to bind a book, how to print, all these sort of things. It was really, you know, he was always so, so, so generous to so many people. And, and on a personal level, I mean, he had a wonderful sense of humor and, uh, you know, was very perceptive and just so knowledgeable. I mean, he, just, he was just a, you know, a really quite wonderful guy. The attraction was obviously the kind of work that he did, mm. but as much as anything, it was his generous personality, who he was as a human being. Yeah, yeah. So what you're trying to do is to document this so that, that his memory is concrete and yeah. stays in the mind and... Is that what's motivating you? Yeah, it's what he produced. We don't have a complete inventory. We have a 
near completed inventory, but there's been more material come in recently. And but he has this sort of miscellaneous file. Miscellaneous. Yeah. I love miscellaneous files. Yeah. You know, he had a couple casting machines. One went to his friend Alex uh, Wyden, and one went to uh, Jason DeWinitz, who plans. To, I don't know what it is, but he plans to, to cast type. And there might be some work done on some of the Rimmer uh, material that was left in the uh, preparatory stages. Where were we in these questions? Why should we remember him? What did he do? And uh, how can Canadians get in contact with what he did? Well, I suppose Beatrice Ward says type is invisible, but I mean, some of his work is you know, its just so beautiful. He is revered by those who are in the know. Well, I guess I'm not overly articulate on the matter, but I mean, the uh, the illustrations are wonderful. We've we've used two or three of them now for Christmas cards from the library. You know, there's a, there's sort of a simplicity and subtleness about these illustrations. If you see them or you're at all familiar with them, you'll you'll recognize them right away. I mean, he's he has that sort of you know whimsical graphic style about him. There is his work. Yeah. His typefaces have been really well accepted for printing poetry, for, for prose and various other things. How many faces did he design in total? Maybe maybe there's three dozen. I you know, I honestly don't know. I mean there is a there is a catalog in there of some of his typefaces. And you know, there's some of them are in, in lead and, and then there's a number more computer based. I guess in the late eighties or so he worked with Gerald Tiampa who was quite famous on, on the local scene for his innovations with the computer and, and, uh, and typography. It's hard to get his sort of message out there to the community that, you know, going back to Beatrice Ward's quote, I mean, type, I mean, people just don't notice it unless it don't. hits you. And if it's yeah. too ugly or it's, or it's something you're not familiar with, it's not a voluminous amount of work that he did. You know, this is a solid core of fans. And, I, you know, I can give you a lot of names today who are admirers. I mean, you look at the, the presses in Canada that are regarded as the best in terms of the quality of what they produce. Gaspero and Tim Inkster's Porcupine's Quill and Coach House, well, Barbarian, definitely, but that's just naming a few. Sure. But uh, these people would all be in that circle of admirers then. The, the last book, which the barbarians did, the Shakespeare volume, I mm. mean, it, they used some, I don't know how much, of, uh, of Rimmer's type. These people, these disciples, yeah, exactly. are keeping his legacy uh, alive in the, in the actual pages of the books they produce. I mean, this is just true. He came up here one day, and Ryan came to film him, and we, uh, we had the Tom Sawyer volume, and uh, he and I just sat there. And I turned the pages and asked questions about it. I mean, it was really, uh, it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful afternoon just listening to Jim talk about his publications. And yeah, mm -hmm. anyhow, no, he was, he was, he was, a, he was a remarkable individual. It's just too bad that he didn't uh, produce more volumes over his lifetime, so more people could share the beauty. Well, thanks for sharing what you know of him uh, with us and your uh, enthusiasm and uh, reverence for the man. I've been speaking with Eric Swanick, who is the head of Special, Special Collections and Rare Books at WAC Bennett Library, Simon Freedy University. Thanks again. My pleasure.